0: Let's go... we go... wow. Getting cool, not cool, but it's cooler here in Singapore. Egg tarts, century eggs, and no bringing food inside. Put your trays away, goddammit. Museum visit to the, uh, I think it's the Museum of Asian Civilizations. <sighs> Some of the interesting things you learn. How much can you learn in a museum? Have you ever heard of plasmalogen? This is separate, but it's apparently brain food, also known as chicken. Well, not really, but it's found Chicken, Chinese people and the VOA visa on arrival to Malaysia and are silver coins worth the purchase? Folks, it's Thursday, October 12, 2023. I'm Stephen Sirski, live here in Singapore, Singapore, Chinatown, Shui, as what they call it here because that's where the oxen used to drag the water so many years ago. But I've uh, uh, been uh, holed up here for the last three or four days. We've got a couple more days left. We were thinking about going to Bangkok or to um, Malaysia, but it just seems it's a little bit troublesome. It wouldn't actually be worth it. I would actually prefer to stay in Malaysia, oh, sorry, in, in Singapore, and chill out and just take our time, uh, seeing things, walking through the heat, rather than rushing through things and uh, you know I don't know feeling rushed. Basically, today, for example, if we um, didn't get going until midday, but we had to do laundry in the morning. Uh, so that took about an hour and then had to go eat and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, we uh, went to uh, the uh, Museum of Asian Civilizations and then also after that we went to the Raffles Hotel uh, at which we tried the uh, Singapore slings, which are very famous here. But I'll get to all that uh, in due time. Now, some of the things that uh, I've noticed here in Singapore that are a little bit different from mainland of China, so I've mentioned the food before. That's probably the biggest food in terms of the, the uh, differentiation between um, like mainland Chinese food and Singaporean Chinese food and Chinese food from other places. This food, I will say, is actually quite oily, but I would say it almost has like just the right amount of salt to it. Contrast that to uh, mainland Chinese uh, food where it seems to not have as much salt uh, but it certainly has a lot more spice, at least that's what I've tasted in Beijing. And then also, I think it actually, its they're both very oily, to tell you the truth. It's hard to pick which one uh, is as oily. Now, I have been trying, uh, we, we tried the egg tarts today. We tried the century egg uh, dienshin, so the desserts. And then we also tried this thing, this po muo, or something like that. It's like a, like a Bismarck donut, or a Boston cream donut with that cream filling inside. But it's not the same, it's not like a pudding filling, it is a pudding filling, but it's it's not that same sort of North American creaminess that uh, you'd come to expect from like a Robin's Donuts or a Tim Hortons or any like Dunkin' Donuts and stuff like that. So have been trying that out. The one thing that we did try Famous today was Hawker Chan. Now this Hawker Chan stall uh, is known for his uh, soya chicken and rice dish and he is reputed or renowned to be the first uh, stall owner. To be given a Michelin star, so like Michelin, like think of the, think of the tire people, the guy like the what the mascot of the, the guy who looks like a bunch of, donut rings, basically white donuts stacked on top of each other, um, that like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Mines type of the guy, uh, but uh, they give out awards to different, uh, uh, what do you call it? restaurants, um, around the world, all the like every year they have Michelin awards, so this guy received, I don't know what star rating he received, but he's received it for many years in a row when apparently like his soya chicken uh, and ri- uh, and uh, rice are very good i tried the pork ribs with noodles equally very good both were very good the girlfriend had the uh, soya chicken with uh, rice was it worth it yeah i would say actually it was a uh, decently decently yeah it was a good feed uh, a bit small for my liking so still kind of hungry after that but good thing we had some egg tarts and the other desserts from down the street earlier on that we uh, we had made the purchase. So other than that, Hawker Chan, well worth the uh, reputation. So that makes it actually, what would you say? Two for two? Three for three? I'm not even sure. I've lost track. Song Fa yesterday for their uh, bone soup. And then today with the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The uh, soya chicken with uh, rice. Fantastic food. But then again, I'm not going to lie. Here in Singapore, uh, it's I'm not sure, have I had a bad meal? I would actually say the one meal that wasn't up to my expectations was the Western style uh, Chinese breakfast or the Western style breakfast served in a cafe, or obviously run by uh, like a Chinese sort of company of some sort. That one did not measure, uh, measure up a coffee grounds or coffee grinds. I can't remember the name, but it was one of these little small cafes that you'd sort of expect a little bit more of a niche sort of uh, menu and stuff like that. And they did have a niche menu. It just Uh, It didn't measure up, didn't sort of match up the uh, sort of, didn't meet expectations, basically. So, overall, very good food in Singapore, and I've said it before. If the smell doesn't attract you, then certainly the different flavors and the tastes of the food would attract you to Singapore. If not to move here, then at least endear you to the city above and beyond the heat and the humidity. One thing also that you have to keep in mind that when you are in Singapore, you have to put your trays away. In China, we're very spoiled that we don't. They have people that take care of all the stuff for us. But in Singapore, there is a fine. If you don't put your tray away and they catch you, they will fine you. And these fines aren't cheap. Like in China, it's like a 500 quai, uh fine or 250 renminbi. So we're talking like 50 to $100, okay? now. Most of the people who only earn like 3,000 or 8,000 RMB per month, they'd be like, oh, that's a lot of money. To anybody who, like, that doesn't deter people who make stupid amounts of money from doing it. Right? So if they're making fifteen or 20,000 RMB or more, they're going to smoke outside. They're going to smoke wherever they can because it just doesn't matter. that the, The fines in China are so small in contrast to like the actual uh, penalty in terms of the damage to their, uh, their paycheck. This makes me wonder if the social credit system that uh, China is implementing and that so many Western media outlets and so many of my Western uh, pangyous and friends and stuff like that are like, oh, well, I don't want people tracking me. They already track you through your taxes, your MasterCard, your your, your that, those two things alone, your internet search history, all of that stuff is liable to be... Uh, requisitioned or um, was it subpoenaed by the RCMP in Canada or whoever in the United States, they know lots about you, China is just following in the footsteps, they're just doing the same thing. So, if anything, you should have got to China five, ten years ago when it was like truly free and they didn't have any of that. But now, they do. So, the social credit scoring is kind of like, here in Singapore, if you get dinged with a ticket, not only do you have to pay this stupidly high amount of uh, money, like $500 or $1,000, Singaporean, uh, to pay the, the fine, it also goes on your record. So it's like, it, it, it's, it, it's a black mark. It's like, oh, well, you got dinged for this traffic ticker, you got dinged for this uh, smoking fine or something like that. Whereas in China, like, what system keeps track of all of these numbers that they would have against you? Uh, very hard to sort of tell whether or not there is actually one central system keeping track. Of everything. So put your trays away when you're in the restaurants and the, uh, the food course. Not only is it uh, helpful to or towards the staff that are there, but also keeps things clean and you avoid your fine. Uh, we did go to the Museum of Asian Civilizations or Asian Civilization. This is a, a museum that I went to 10, 12 years ago. Uh, same cost, I guess it was uh, about $15 or so to get in. They did a remodel back in 2014. So the tour guide said, um, decent visit. I liked it. I like looking at this old stuff. It's kind of neat sometimes. We got there for a one o'clock tour. We saw some of the Islamic uh, art that they had on the second floor. We were able to catch on to the uh, two o'clock tour as well for the highlights of the museum. And that pretty much did us in. We were so brain fried by all the information that we'd taken in. uh, that I mean, we kind of made our way through the rest of the museum. After that, we took another, what, hour, hour and a half and just sort of puttered through. But yeah, lots of taking in. How do you at all take in what a museum can teach you. And it really made me think, like, is, is are museums just for tourists and travelers? Or is it for, like, is it like a sort of assumed collective knowledge of the local people? And when they say it's like, it's a National Museum of Summer, National Museum of Canada, does that mean, like, most Canadians generally understand or generally uh, have an idea about the things that are in that museum that it's like if you were to ask a Canadian, oh, well, hi, hey, I saw this in a, a museum or whatever it is, uh, the, any Canadian would be like, yeah, 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 that's right, that's part of like, the history of the Canadian lands or something like that, so, or the peoples that lived uh, in Canada. Kind of makes you wonder whether or not many of the locals or the natives to that land actually know or care about the stuff in the museum. Uh, some highlights actually was uh, one question I had, uh, and this, I mean, this, I, I'm sure this has been asked before, but like, why, has, why was the Prophet Muhammad sort of considered to be the last prophet of Allah? And this is the Islamic faith, the Muslim faith. faith. Uh, but they uh, talked about this in, in terms of all the uh, Islamic artifacts that the uh, this museum has, and one of the things that they they, they talked about and sort of uh, that's talked about like written in the um, the, uh, the different signage uh, throughout the museum. Although I'm going off of what the tour guide said to me, I didn't I can't verify. I couldn't pin pick out which uh, sort of artifact actually has this. But uh, basically, the idea being that Allah, like they with the muslim faith that is sort of like what um there are prophets before Allah and Muhammad was the last prophet of God or of Allah and before that there were other prophets now i'm not sure if they're sort of seeing themselves as a culmination of godly visitations and prophets on the planet earth or something like that but i mean i've talked about sort of aliens and uh, intergalactic uh, everything's and in, Stuff like that, and sort of the understanding uh, life and humanity and being within a galactic and universal sort of sense. And I just kind of, it does make me wonder I'm like, does that, does, does Islam see Catholicism as an earlier version of it? And does Catholicism see itself as a newer version of Judaism? So it's like the, the idea being that there's like Judaism, Christianity, or Catholicism, and then uh, Islamism, Islam. Uh, You know, Islam. Sorry, (laughs) Islam. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is something that uh, I'd I'd be interested to talk to uh, someone a little bit more about, and sort of getting the understanding of the the timeline and how these things all sort of fit together uh, as well. Given that these three religions have played a huge role in the development of many parts of the world, especially the modern world, but not just in the, uh, the the modern world, they have taken over or taken out many. Uh, sort of local religions, a lot of pagan religions, like Christianity uh, did that to a lot of the religions uh, throughout the Roman Empire and through uh, Italy and Greece, uh, throughout Europe in that time as well. So uh, this is something that's sort of always kind of fascinated me, only because, you know, you you kind of go like, well, what's the origination? Is there more than, can there be any more one source than this? Or is it like we're all just sort of talking about the same thing, but in uh, different languages? Uh, All that being said, there was another one where this, this uh, calligrapher. So I'm not sure if he was Chinese and this happened to him, but uh, Chinese calligraphy in regard to Islamic texts and Islamic art was actually pretty big. But then, when the Chinese Revolution sort of happened, then it was the out with the four olds. Uh, artists who were sort of doing this kind of went underground or like did not make it or were put underground, sort of thing. <laughs> in so matter, in so many ways of saying. Um, but there was this one story of this guy who, uh, I guess, um, had made someone jealous of his ca- uh, calligraphic, uh, his abilities to do calligraphy that the, uh, the jealous person cut off his arm. And this is like a rich person, like a prince or whatever. But then the guy, the artist, the calligrapher was like, that's all right. I can't stop doing this. So he tired, tied a paintbrush or like a Chinese brush, calligraphy brush to his arm uh, to his stump and just kept on doing calligraphy. So uh, uh, I'm not sure if that's the exact story, but it was something along those lines where a Chinese calligrapher was inspired by the story to keep on going throughout the trials and tribulations that um, the Islamic sort of copiers and Islamic faith had in China at that time uh, that uh, he sort of took inspiration in the story of this this guy getting his arm chopped off and continuing on with his art, with his uh, life work as it so is. Uh, other than that, overall, we spent two, three hours in the uh, the museum and then headed on over to... Uh, the goal is actually to go over to uh, the Singapore Mint just to see if they had some, uh, I don't know, any interesting coins or something like that uh, to uh, to pick up. But um, along the way, we stopped off over at the Raffles Hotel, which is this hotel I've talked about before, uh, this really expensive luxury hotel. didn't start out that way uh, many years ago. It so was just sort of a gathering, gathering point, especially the Long Bar. Now, there was a queue to get in today. And I'm like, fuck this, we're not waiting uh, an hour, hour and a half to get into this bar. We'll just go to the one downstairs. And so that's what we did. I was talking to this waiter and he's like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same drinks, the same mix, the same thing. It's just that the Singapore Sling itself was technically invented in the place called the Long Bar. But let's keep in mind, the Long Bar has moved locations since it was sort of first founded. So if you're looking for the original, 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 even that has moved. That being the case, uh, there was a queue to get into the uh, like the long bar itself, and they were like, um, we're not going to wait till there. Uh, so instead, we went to, the, I think it was the courtyard uh, pint, uh, the courtyard bar, courtyard garden, or whatever it was, uh, the area that they had uh, for, it, not as busy. And we asked the guy, we walk up, he's like, do you have a reservation? I'm like, uh, no, we're just, we'll sit at the bar. He's like, bar's full. There's five stools at the bar, one of them which had a bag on them. Thanks, bro. But the other thing is like, well, let me check if we have any space, we have a lot of reservations starting at 5.30. We're looking around, the place is like half empty, if not three quarters empty. We sit down, he's like, yeah, yeah come on in, okay? we can accommodate you. Well, thanks, bro. We sit down, and sure enough, like even at 5.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30, the place is still half empty. Yeah, what about those res- reservations now? So we tried a couple of Singapore slings. The original, we tried the 1950 version. We tried the modern version. Uh, we also tried uh, some other, the Torino, whatever it is, with tequila and that, and that was terrible, to tell you the truth. But uh, overall, spent a stupid amount of money on drinks that honestly, if you weren't sort of interested in this stuff, you don't need to go. And I'm sure if you had the Virgin style instead, it'd be just the same, because it's basically a sweet, a very sweet cocktail Made for women because that's what the Singapore sling was for was to cover up the idea that women weren't allowed to drink back hundred years ago. And so, those one bartender was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> but they still have money. We can still serve them. So let's make them a sweet drink that looks like you know very like a fruit drink rather than like an alcoholic you know a beer or a shot of whiskey or vodka or whatever that. So that's where the uh, they made these sort of uh, the Singapore sling cocktail. It was to accommodate the female clientele at the Raffles Hotel at the Long Bar many years ago to cover up the fact that like women weren't allowed to drink at that time out in public. And so that's what they, uh, they made the Singapore Sling for. The price is now $39 for the Singapore Sling. That thing was $25 when I first got there in 2010 or 2009, I think it was. The 1915 Singapore Sling Gin version, the Gin, gin Sling, that was only $33. Uh, the beers were 14 and 16 and the other drink that we had was 22. So you can imagine, I mean, it was quite a, quite a, uh, a chunk of change. So we went through two free bowls of peanuts just to make sure that we got our uh, money's worth uh, in that regard. But overall, I mean, if you're not into that sort of thing, you can go around, you can walk around the Raffles Hotel. Uh, we did visit uh, the um, one of the art galleries there, which I should probably talk about another time uh, because this was actually a very interesting conversation that I had with the lady about uh, art. Uh, so the art deals and art trade and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to revisit this another time, uh, possibly tomorrow. If not, then I'll talk about it next week uh, in regard to uh, sort of like some of the business that you can sort of expect if you are buying and selling art. Uh, that being said, okay, so in terms of these, um, uh, what, what, after the Raffles Hotel, actually, you, okay, to finish that thought, you can visit the Raffles Hotel. You do not need to uh, book a, a room or anything that. There is a place for residents and there are a place for non-residents. You can actually go there for afternoon tea, uh, which is $88 per person. We did not go to that, Uh, but you can walk around. They have all sorts of high-end shops and stuff like that. Um, So if you have stupid amounts of money to spend, that's where you can go spend it. Uh, If you don't, then you can at least look through the window and go, wow, that's a very shiny, glassy area that has a lot of stuff that I don't need in my life or (laughs) Really can't afford to tell you the truth, uh, but they have things like this art gallery, some uh, furniture galleries, uh, art of uh, well, not just art, like uh, whiskey and uh, coffee shops and stuff like that. Very nice place to walk around. Uh, again, this Raffles Hotel is famous because of uh, who it was designed by the Sarkis brothers, who also designed the Eastern Orientals in uh, Penang, Malaysia, and also the Strand in uh, Yangon, uh, Burma or in Myanmar. So. Uh, it's a famous hotel for that. It's become a luxury hotel. It was not a luxury hotel back in the day. It became that over time. And this Long Bar was just another bar many years ago, but it became sort of, it, had, it gained a reputation, and as a result, people went there, and the more that people heard about it, the uh, clientele sort of uh, went up in, uh, I guess, financial stature, if you will. Very nice place to look at. Uh, t- uh, nice to take pictures of during the day. Kind of neat at, uh, at uh, dusk as well, sort of sundown when you get the blue sort of sky, but then also the lights coming down onto the uh, uh, sort of the old British style colonial building if you will. Also very nice to look at, very photographic, photogenic, and very videographic as well. Uh, from there we headed over to a big mall to go check out, uh, I want to go see the Singapore Mint because they have a, like a little collector's shop in one of these malls just to see what they had on offer, whether or not there's uh, anything really worth it all worthwhile, I'll tell you. The problem is like with buying coins is that like silver coins or gold coins you're overpaying. Like Keep this in mind if you ever sort of uh, meet this idea that all you should buy gold coins. um, You want to be buying the bullion, you don't want to be buying the legal tender. The difference and and sometimes the the bullion coins can be considered legal tender and you're still going to be paying a premium on them but the huge difference is, is that the coins sometimes aren't made out of pure gold. They might be like 22%, uh, sorry, 22K. Typically, they won't be, they'll be 24K, but you wanna be aiming for the bullion, not anything else. You wanna be looking for investment bars or investment bullion that's traded at spot price and not legal tender coinage. If you're buying legal tender coinage, these are collector's items, they're meant to appreciate over time, we're talking like a very long period of time. Not only that, you're paying for that artistic sort of flair that's included with the artwork of the design of the coin. Whereas the bullion, they might stamp it like you know a maple leaf or something like that, but you're not paying for the artwork. You're more paying for the underlying uh, metal within the, the coin itself. So this is actually where it uh, behooves you to uh, do your research and buy gold bars or silver bars for investment purposes if that's what you're looking for rather than these collector's coins that they like to hawk to a lot of tourists and to, uh, yeah, what, what can I say, junior collectors or collectors in, uh, in general because a lot of collectors do buy silver coins or gold coins uh, and they keep them for a long period of time. They might even hand them down over the generations or they just might add them to the collection because, hey, they kind of look cool because they do make some pretty neat coins. So what's the value of a silver coin? Are they worth it? If you're going to hold on to it for a very long time, keep in mind that these will keep the, what, what can you call it? they will keep their nominal value or they will keep their real value. I'm sorry, I'm gonna get these two terms clear uh, up. If you pay $35 for a coin today, you will be able to sell that coin for $35 in the future. But that's all you'll be able to sell it for unless it's some sort of very, very, very rare coin. The idea being that that $35 will always be $35. It won't be 32, but it might also be 38, right? All that being said, since it's a coin, it's a legal tender, the face value stays the same. Like the Canadian dollar, if you buy the Canadian maple leaf dollar, silver dollar every year, you bought it for $34 back in 1987, you buy it for $34 this year. Now, of course, taxes have gone up in that time, so you will be paying more in general for that same silver dollar over the last 30 years, thanks to the taxes. Now, in Singapore, they will actually give you a GST credit, that you can claim back at the airport once you leave. You just have to have your uh, passport with you. They will fill the, uh, the form and they'll give you a piece of paper, a receipt that you then hand in to the authorities at the airport and it will refund you the GST money that you paid on the coinage or whatever it is uh, at the shop. All right, there's two other items I was going to talk about. I will leave those for another day. Uh, this whole plasmolegan thing, this brain food. I did get some uh, supplements. I want to try these out to see if they're uh, worth uh, worthwhile. It uh, also just seems that eating chicken or, uh, yeah, poultry basically is uh, has a lot of uh, nutrients in it that is good for your brain. What is brain food? Fish and chicken. Eat that, you'll be okay. And Chinese people, can they get a VOA to Malaysia? It looks like you can, but it costs 200 ringgit or uh, Malaysian ringgit, uh, which is about 30 kwhi. Um And it also, uh, no one could really tell me whether or not you actually had to apply for a visa on arrival prior to actually getting to the Johor Bahru uh, intersection of Johor Bahru uh, Customs or um, border, border gate basically. So that I don't know. So if you're Chinese or if you know someone Chinese who wants to go from Singapore to Malaysia, I'm sorry, sure I can't help you. Uh, and it doesn't look like we're going to be we're going to be trying that this weekend anyway. We're rather going just going to sit in Singapore and uh, chill out for the next couple of days. All right, folks, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. I appreciate it. It is all um, right. Oh, it's almost twelve o'clock here as I'm recording this, but luckily feeling pretty good must be the Singapore slings that are sort of making their way through my body. Whether or not I get up and get, go for my run tomorrow, we'll see. I've been doing a decent number of steps overall. What's, what's my total today? Almost 20,000 steps total. But yesterday, I think I did it closer to 36,000, including the run, the two-hour run that I did as well. Show notes and tracks of my website, stevamastisky.com. I appreciate it. And, of course, Spotify, Apple, and Google is where you can stream this. Share this if you got it. If you get a good laugh, if you think anyone can benefit uh, from it as well, I'd appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll do this again. Stay safe out there. Stay cool. Have a good one. We'll do this again. Bye bye.